0: Hey, this is Leo. Welcome to another episode of After Hour Projects. This episode is with Jessica Lin. Life coach and yogi Jessica Lin shares how compassion, integrity, and accessibility keep her centered. We talked about mental health, decolonizing yoga, and the value of holistic health. Hey Jess, great to have you on the After Hour Projects podcast.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, so I just wanted to really first get into the topic of personal wellness because actually this is something that I have a little bit of experience in too in doing a little bit of meditation for a while starting last year and even yoga during this period Mm. of time. So when did you first discover everything around personal wellness with yoga, meditation, and all sorts?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first, I'm so glad that you're getting into yoga and hopefully enjoying it. Um, This is a great time, you know, to explore different um, hobbies and whatnot during this quarantine. And for me, I started getting interested around elementary school. Um, And the long story short is that I was dealing with depression, anger management, sleepwalking, a bunch of different things. And, you know, I just kind of felt in my heart that it wasn't normal. And so I went on the internet and I looked it up and um, started taking classes and in my area. And so I kind of went from there and then I got certified in high school and I've been doing it ever since. So that's the the short story there.
0: Oh, that's pretty interesting. So basically in the beginning, you just pick it up from the internet by yourself.
1: Yeah. So I looked online to kind of see like how to cope with depression and anxiety and all the other things. That were going on and it recommended therapy and yoga and meditation and my parents you know they you know didn't believe that depression existed at that time I think they don't think differently now but they were like oh you don't need therapy you're being dramatic whatever but I think um you know with yoga they were a little bit more willing just because they kind of thought it'd be like probably good exercise and that kind of thing and then I didn't really fine-tune meditation classes um, just because it wasn't that common and popular back then, it's a little bit more well known now and more readily available. But even like now in 2020, a lot of yoga studios they have very few meditation classes, and so that's kind of why um, I did mostly yoga at that time, just based on you know what was available. And I was a kid; I didn't have a car, I couldn't drive out of the, out of town, so just made made do with what was what was there.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and it, it is great to hear though that, that you were able to find that tool and that not just tool, like some people view it as a lifestyle, a way to actually help you with what was going on there.
1: Absolutely. I resonate with that, you know, the idea of it as a lifestyle because, you know, this isn't commonly known outside of the yoga circle, but yoga actually has eight limbs, like eight aspects. And only one of them is the poses, like the asanas is what we call them. And then a lot of the other ones are, you know, things like nonviolence, Moderation, not gossiping, honesty, breath work, concentration, community. And so, you know, it really is a holistic system that is all about health and wellness and just about health and happiness. So it's not just like stretch and like pose and whatnot, um, though it has become that, I think, in the West, or at least that's how it's seen by by many.
0: So I think that really kind of shows how like you've been able to do the practices, but also know more about the knowledge itself. And even for me with meditation, so I picked up this book around mindfulness. It was recommended to me Mm -hmm. by a friend of mine. The book is called The Mindful Way Through Mm -hmm. Depression. And I didn't pick it up uh, because I had depression. My friend, he actually did, but I saw that it helped him. So I was like, okay, well, I have this free time. And this was a self-paced eight week Mm -hmm. course. So the first part was the knowledge just looking at the different descriptions around different techniques, the story behind them. And the second part was reflection. So they actually gave you prompts in the book to write down your thoughts around these different topics. And then the last part was around actually doing it. So doing the different guided meditations that they had in the book. And I found that that combination of all three was something that is really practical to help you get the knowledge while actually doing something.
1: That sounds really great. I'm really glad that you did that. And it reminds me that I was required to do something like that as well for my uh, teacher training. And so I had to read like, I think like 13 books in the program that I was in. And one of them did have, you know, the like, you know, do this pose or like do this practice and then reflect on it. How do you feel? Um, so, yeah, I really love that, that you were able to do that. And it's actually something that I'm also creating myself. Like I'm actually um, writing a book. And so it's helpful to hear kind of what worked for you.
0: Yeah. And now, now you're a yoga coach among many other things. How did you become a coach?
1: Yeah. So um, it kind of just fell into place to be honest. So, I mean, you know, when I was um, in college, I taught it at the school gym for a little bit. Um, But, you know, I was mostly focused on studies. And then after school, I, you know, got a job. And the thing is, I didn't really like working for other people and I felt that they were really corrupt systems. And I worked for um, apparel companies as a buying assistant. I worked um, as a retail store manager. I also worked for a nonprofit in art therapy. And I just felt like, you know, It was very difficult to make genuine connections at these places. And so I just decided to quit one day um, out of nowhere. And I was like, you know, I was not very happy. I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel appreciated. Um, The employees underneath me were not being treated well. So I just gave my two weeks notice. And I basically just jumped ship. And I was like, well, I guess we'll see what I'm going to do now. Um, I had my certification. And I think my parents had kind of like pushed me a little bit. They were like, well, you took all this time to, you know, study this. And it costs like, you know, probably like five grand. Uh, it's pretty standard for yoga. And um, they were like, oh, you know, you haven't used it. And I was like, you know, that's true. And so I think that's kind of why I thought about doing that. And my next step was just to start applying to different gyms. Um, you know, 24 Hour Fitness, LA Fitness, Gold's Gym, all of that stuff. And I applied at um, different studios and such. So I did that for a little bit. Um, I also did yoga, taught yoga and Spanish at a uh, Buddhist nonprofit called Seji, which I really love. Um, But for me, it just didn't really work out because, again, the class sizes were very big. There wasn't that one-on-one attention. Um, It wasn't the same people every time. And it was very Western-focused. It was very about the physical body Um, after classes, people would come up to me and, you know, ask me how to get the kind of body that I have or like, what kind of foods I eat. And for me, I just really didn't feel like that was, um, what I wanted to do. And so after that, I just decided to quit all of that after I'd built it up. And then I just started calling around places and decided to rent space at different studios and, create my own classes. I just made my own flyers and just went from there. So honestly, it went really well. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, but um, I just figured, hey, you got to start where you are. So my first class, you know, my my classes are maximum 10 people. I got nine people. So I was was quite pleased, very happy with it.
0: That's really quite an interesting story. And I think quite a bit to actually Mm -hmm. cover there too. So I think one first part is actually developing set of being able to teach yoga. So I'm actually curious that you were pursuing your certification even before you decided to actually really leave your job and teach. So what was the thought process around that? Because I think like it it is one thing. So even for me, like with meditation, I'm like still very much a beginner, still kind of just dabbling around, trying different things out versus actually like pursuing something very deeply. And then what was the decision to actually go deep into yoga?
1: Are you asking like why I decided to get a certification rather than just keep it as a hobby? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, I felt that I wanted to share it with other people, which I think is the common thread between a lot of people who teach um, because it just helped me so much and it's really saved my life time and again, you know, I wouldn't even be alive today. I don't think without it. And um, I spent, you know, my high school weekends at the studio for eight hours, 10 hours. And it just really, I think, um, you know, I was still depressed in high school. And um, I just was like, you know, this is something that really works. And it's something that is very natural. It doesn't require like drugs or chemicals or medication. And it's something that I think everyone can do. Um, so for me... I also have always really just loved teaching. I remember in the fourth grade, I said I was going to be a teacher, and so I think you know I just always kind of knew. And I was in I when I was in kindergarten, I would teach my friends like Spanish, and then I ended up doing that at the nonprofit at Soji. So I think it was always just kind of part of me, you know, just like my my upbringing, my personality, and. For me, I just wanted to, like you said, delve deeper. You know, I didn't want to just do the poses and the asanas. I really wanted to understand, like, the history and the culture behind it and realize, like, where it came from. You know, what was its origin story? And how did it come to the U.S. and um, manifest as it is now?
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense and actually really tie things together. So having that common thread there, but then also just as you mentioned with wanting to really share that one way to put it would be like the holistic message versus something that was more packaged and then being able to do that yourself. So you were able to go from teaching at different places whether it be gyms, studios to then going off on your own. So Want to hear a little bit more about that? What is it like now, as a coach on your own and working with clients?
1: It is very rewarding, but also extremely challenging. I think it's great because when I work one-on-one, I can help people with different health issues. So, for example, um, the first private client I had came to me wanting to get pregnant, and you know, for me, I didn't guarantee that it would happen. I wasn't like, "Hey, you do yoga, you're gonna get pregnant." I mean, I didn't advertise it that way either, actually, but I think that there were a lot of emotional blockages and the first session that we had, she actually broke down and started crying and that's actually something I had seen before at the studio, so I wasn't really surprised, but by the time we had our second session, she was already pregnant and it's not really saying that, like, wow, I'm a magic worker, like, I did that, but I think that, like, she took the chance to work through what she needed to and I think that, you know, I mean, the body is very emotional and the brain is what controls everything. Your brain controls your reproductive system and your circulatory system, all of that. And so, you know, when we really broke it down and got into the nitty gritty of what she was feeling and experiencing and where she was in life and her career, you know, in her marriage, I think, you know, that's, that's why she was able to get pregnant. And, you know, I had someone else who is a cancer survivor and you know like this really brought like flexibility and mobility into her life and that's not something that i can do if i do like a 45 person class at the gym um so you know but it is a lot of emotional labor you know i'm an empath so to have someone pour out all of their feelings to me it is a lot (laughs) to take in and like i've had to learn to um set up boundaries for myself so that i can you know be at my best because if i'm worn down and i overwork myself i can't show up and be engaged and present with my clients so you know sometimes it's like i have to draw that line where i'm not a therapist but i can recommend it right i mean i have gone to therapy for 13 years off and on and i recommend it to all my clients whether they're you know in my life coaching program or doing yoga or even just friends and family and so i think that's part of my practice too you know knowing where my limitations are as a yoga teacher and being like, hey, maybe you see, maybe you could see an acupuncturist or go to the chiropractor and just help guide them in whatever they might need.
0: Yeah, that that really puts it into context. So those examples you gave, I think were really about not just yoga as people can sometimes see it, like the equivalent of, uh, I mean, let's say something like a, mm-hmm. just physical activity, but there's the logical part of it too so how does that relate to different parts of your body and then as you were mentioning too about the emotional part so it's really something that combines all of that and with you being able to apply those skills of coaching and teaching that can like help people in those ways that aren't just something that's stuck Mm -hmm.
1: exactly yeah so my sessions are usually like an hour and a half to 2 hours and then when i would do like um the ones in person before the quarantine usually i would do a 2 hour session and then an optional lunch afterwards at like a local business a local restaurant to really just like again build that eighth limb which is community right and you know of course people are welcome to share as much or as little as they're comfortable with but there's really something about doing yoga off the mat is what we call it off the mat right where you know we're talking to other people and you know, a lot of people come to these classes because they have the same goals in mind, right? They have this similar, you know, expectation or aim to become happier or healthier or heal something inside them. And so it it makes logical sense to me to have all of these people talk about it because a lot of us are actually experiencing the same uh, things. And so, you know, a lot of times people, when they speak up, someone will be like, yeah, me too. And it kind of like, is validating and helpful for people to realize that they're not alone. Objectively. Yeah. We know, okay, we're not alone. Everyone feels that way, but to actually see and hear another person in front of you say that, especially if they're maybe like your same age or from the same cultural background. I think that's really powerful for people.
0: Yeah. The, the topic of community that you bring up, I think that's really helpful. And the way I view it's actually, mm-hmm. it's a form of connection. So I think nowadays with, at least for me in the business world, sometimes people talk about networking and connections as in like, Mm -hmm. let's say connecting on LinkedIn or finding some time to connect as in talking about business, where it isn't as much about building up those relationships. But I think the way you put it, it's actually really about expanding it, as you said, with doing yoga off the mat, to have this like genuine way to form connections with people. And so I actually want to bring this now to more of everything else that you're doing.
1: I also do life coaching just because I feel like that's very much embedded or ingrained in the yoga that I already do. Like I said, I talk to people about their emotions. I talk to them about maybe seeing a therapist or a chiropractor. And, you know, it's all centered around self-care and such. So I think that that's different because some people, you know, they feel like they don't want the yoga aspect or the meditation aspect. Maybe it's too spiritual for them or they just are not interested. And so it's like a great way to help people. And it's something I already do, but it's just something that I can offer outside of yoga off the mat. And I also founded and run a an art festival. It's called the Pomona Zine Fest. And um that one was similar to kind of the yoga thing where I just started calling event spaces and I figured out like how to get liability insurance and I talked to different cities and I made my own flyers and I just just you know did it from the ground up and kind of just went with it um so that one's really fun because That one is about really creating a space for artists to come together and showcase their artwork and meet other people because a lot of artists, from what I've heard and what they've shared with me, are not, you know, interested in the business side, the logistics. I mean, it's a lot of work creating a map for a layout for where all the tables are going to go, which company I'm going to rent the tables from, you know, how much am I going to set aside for the event space? Um, How much is it going to cost for the security guards and the cleaning service and all these things, right? The city regulations. And so I think like for me, just because I am more comfortable with the business side of things, the financial, I like to just, you know, be able to do that for them. And as an artist myself, when I would go to events, I felt like they were um, very fun, but also kind of frantic. And so it felt like, you know, as a vendor, I would sit there and think, God, like I want to meet these other people, but like, there's never a chance to, because I'm at my, you know, I'm at my table the whole day, you know? So with the zine fest that I do, you know, I do like a circle at the beginning and there's a lot more like kind of getting to know each other and activities and things. And um, I would like to expand that more. Actually, I was thinking about um, doing like compliment jars in the future and everyone, every vendor gets a, a jar, And then people can go around and write little notes about things they appreciated about their artwork or their vibe or whatever, because, you know, artists, you know, bending at these things, we don't make a lot of money off it. So sometimes just like a little note saying, Hey, I really appreciated your perspective on like your Latinx experience or like your experience as like a transgender person that you wrote about in the zine really like touched my heart. I think like that's even more meaningful.
0: Yeah. It's like, basically creating your own stage because you saw that there was mm-hmm. a gap in- Yeah.
1: And I mean, like, you know, every festival is so amazing and there's so much hard work. So, you know, it's, it's not to say that other festivals aren't great. I mean, they are, and I, I have to thank, you know, the LA Zine Fest and OC Zine Fest and a bunch of others that gave me some guidance. Um, so I want to thank them, um, and acknowledge that, you know, I would email them, ask them questions, and they, and they were very, very helpful. And also the vendors were very patient with me as I figured everything out because I was just doing this myself, like one person.
0: We talked a little bit about the central pillars.
1: Sure. So my three pillars are. are accessibility, compassion, and integrity. So to speak about them a little bit, the integrity part is about making sure that if I do hire people to work with me, like consultants or website designers, et cetera, I'm hiring people who Um, are small businesses and that I am paying them a fair wage. Um, I don't really outsource to other countries just because a lot of times they do get taken advantage of and buying like fair trade and whatnot. Um, So like anything that I recommend to people you know is usually going to be ethically sourced and I put a lot of time and effort into that. So like you know each product that I buy takes maybe like four to ten hours just looking into it and um, I think that's really helpful for people just because not everyone wants to sit around and research this pillow or like their deodorant they use and whatnot. And then in terms of accessibility, you know, things like how do I create spaces that are open to all gender identities, um, sexual orientations? So for the Zine Fest, I was very adamant about having the bathrooms be gender neutral. Um, and, you know, some of the venues were a little bit like resistant and sometimes I had this one security guard be like, Hey, like there are only two genders. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, look, talk to the venue. So like, I have to be that person. You know, I I need to do that for my vendors because that's what I promised them. And that's what I told them I would do. And so I have to, you know, fight for that. And also creating spaces where, you know, the venues are all like usually just one floor because not everyone can get up a a flight of stairs, you know, not everyone can access that. And um, I know the LA Zine Fest recently, they did an online event where they had an ASL interpreter. So that was really cool. So maybe something I could integrate in the future. I think accessibility also has to do with like, you know, obviously money, which no one likes to talk about. But for the Zine Fest, you know, Zine Fest are great because they're very affordable. And you know, this isn't common knowledge, but a lot of art festivals that you see, especially ones in LA, I won't name the specific names, but if you go in and you try to apply for them, they're very expensive, like $8,000 a day, $10,000 a day, twenty dollars day. Most small business owners, most small artists cannot afford that. They're not going to make even half back. And so it is very hard for them to compete, you know? Um, and again, like they may not have the marketing know-how or the business know-how. Um, so I think that's a really, really huge part. And, you know, in terms of yoga... You know, a lot of people tell me, oh, I don't want to go to the gym or studio because, you know, I have like a torn rotator cuff or like I only have one arm or, you know, like I have um, two clients who are hard of hearing and have speech impediments. And so they're very self-conscious. And I work with them a lot on their confidence and whatnot. And also, you know, working with them in a way that that is um, tailored to them. And the third one, compassion, I think, is about treating my clients as human beings and recognizing that, you know, they're not just dollar signs to me. Okay. They're not just like, Oh, okay. How much can I get out of this person? No, it's like this person is, you know, they work very hard for their money and they're investing it in their health with me. And I need to honor that and take care of myself so that when I show up to work with them, I am my best self. I'm earning that money. It's not just, oh, okay, you gave me this money. Now I'm just going to show up and half-ass it. No, that's not, but I don't think that's okay. You know, like they could work with anyone else, but they're working with me. And so I acknowledge and appreciate that. Actually mm-hmm. forming
0: a genuine relationship with the other person and all those different things you mentioned, I think really goes to show. So looking out, other
1: people Absolutely yeah. and again it's not easy you know I don't want people to think wow like that sounds so amazing and it's not a glamorous life and a lot of times it's tough to find the balance between a friend and a client because you also I also need to get paid on time I have to pay my bills and I have to honor my rate and my experience okay I am not a yoga teacher who has six months experience under my belt I've been doing it for 14 years and I often speak to my clients in three different languages. Um, which is again not something that you can find everywhere, so sometimes like it's tough, you know, and I have to um you know there are penalty fees for paying late, and having to implement those and enforce those is not that fun, but it is part of the job
0: so really now, on the topic of just some of the realities of running your own business, you already covered like let's say that one example of what what are some other challenges that Mm. you have faced yeah
1: I mean there's there are quite numerous and I'm sure more will crop up but um I think some of them are having clients want me to do extra things like you know pick up their kids from school or something like that and you know it's, it's very hard to say no because no one wants to be seen as the bad guy and they might be like oh well it's just close by and it's like near your house and it's just like But you know what? That's like, extra. one, it's not part of my job title. (laughs) Two, it's a huge liability for me, right? To have a child in my car or to have an adult, whoever it is, an adult or a child in my car or a pet or something like, you know, like, what if we get in a car accident, right? I mean, that's like a huge, a thing to ask of someone. That's like when I have to like put my foot down, but sometimes people do get upset. I think, you know, the other thing is, yeah, when people are not happy or they feel like, you know, they want to reschedule, but they didn't give me 48 hours notice and things like that. And it's tough because, you know, you think to yourself, God, like if I, if I, if I put my foot down and I enforce my contract, what if they just decide to stop working with me? And, you know, sometimes that happens and it it sucks um, because sometimes they act like you tricked them. But for me, like I actually write my own contracts. They're written in plain English. I write them very clearly. And I actually go over them with my clients. So I'm like, okay, here are the points. Like, Let me read it to you and explain to you each point. So that it's not like, oh, I just handed it to you. You signed it without looking. And then later on, you suddenly realized, oh, there was this clause I had no idea about. So for me, sometimes it does hurt my feelings. I'm like, look, I'm not someone who likes to lie or manipulate. It's not my style. And I'm very clear with my clients at the very get-go. Like, They have to pay me at the beginning of the month people want allowances they want exceptions and the thing is if i do it for everyone you know i mean it's just unorganized and um you know you give an inch and they take a mile kind of thing right but then you also on the compassion side things happen so i think those are kind of some of the tough parts like when people get upset because i don't have like an hr department to take care of that or like a secretary to do that right like i have to do it myself
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. especially when running something by yourself. But that also, I think, really brings up the point about balance. So I think, like, in one sense, with people doing what products they have, and even, like, let's say nowadays with me working on what I'm currently working on on my own with, Mm -hmm. let's say, after-hour projects and just auto-learnings with it, plus work and everything else, it, it is really important to, be able to find that balance so taking that time to reflect to see what it's like if anything's looks like out of whack and then readjust and i think i'm sure you sometimes also experience this too in terms of just like relationships with your clients because i think like i'm sure that people you work with you have great relationships with them and oftentimes uh there might be that question of.
1: Yeah. And I think something that I also didn't bring up that I thought of is also microaggressions. I mean, let's talk about that, right? Let's be real. Sometimes people say things um, about me being Asian and I'm just like, well, shoot, (laughs) do I drop this client? Do I, you know, uh, try to explain it to them? And so um, that's also another not so fun part of it. And, you know, especially if they're kind of like paying a good amount and they're usually respectful otherwise, But you know, I have had a specific person that the father um, said something, and I was not okay with it, and I told him, and he didn't understand, and I I did feel uncomfortable around him. So for me, and I went to their home, and so that's like you know, as a as a woman, that I didn't feel very comfortable, and so um, that's something that I've kind of learned. And at the moment, I don't really you know go to people's houses as much anymore, and that's something that. that I'm very selective about and that I also kind of caution other people about as well. Um, even if you're a guy, I mean, just going to a stranger's house, right. I mean, they might seem nice, but what does that mean? You know, it's you don't really know that much about the person. And so, you know, that personal well um, is a huge part, I think, you know, and also like, I also feel guilty sometimes that I can turn down a client or whatnot because that's a huge privilege. Right. Right now I think about, delivery workers and how they go around place to place like they might not always feel safe I remember when I was growing up I told my parents I want to deliver pizza one day I don't know I thought it was cool or something and they're like no you don't want to do that it's dangerous you could get shot or kidnapped or you know assaulted um, so I don't know that's a little dark but I just do I do I want to be real and that's something that I that I think about and I deal with
0: we've covered like really a lot around how you got your start what it's really like those valleys. And also some of those common threads of the three pillars that you mentioned and also really just put in perspective what it actually means to look out for someone and really provide like the best working relationship with them and also help them. So now in terms of your advice for others who want to start
1: well i do have a few the first i think would be to make sure that they're taking care of themselves because i see a lot of hustlers working 120 hour work weeks and while it may be admirable it's not sustainable and again i understand i have a lot of privilege but it's just running yourself down into the ground. is just not um, it's just not going to last long term. And, you know, you're, the quality of the work, whatever you're doing, is going to is going to fade and and suffer because of that. And so I think having systems in place, a support system or like I said, therapy is a really great option. It's covered by a lot of health insurances. And I actually talked about this in another podcast, but there's sliding scale and things like that. So I would say take care of yourself first because you're basically the core of your company or your organization or startup, whatever you do. And that means getting enough sleep, eating enough food, um, exercising occasionally, you know, every so often, right? Not excessively. Um, and just having that balance. And I think until people really build that foundation, the rest of the house is gonna be really shaky, right? If you think about a gorgeous house, you have all these layers, but the bottom is like teetering on this rock the whole thing is going to come crashing down no matter how beautiful the layers he built up were. And I, and I see that happen a lot. That's why you hear so many people, you know, talk about, Oh, I had this business and I lost like millions and then I started another one. And it's like, you know, rushing too much. I think, you know, taking things at your own time, taking things at your own pace, that's something you have to learn too, you know? Um, and the second thing is to build up some savings if possible Um, when I quit my job, I did have some money in the bank. I was able to live off that for a little while. Um, it gave me some sense of security and, um, it meant that if I didn't get a job right away or I didn't land clients that I had a safety net. The third thing I would say is to remember to have fun and enjoy it, which I forget sometimes, um, because life is so short and the point of quitting a nine to five, which is what I assume a lot of people or not, I assume, but a lot of people want to do. And people listening might have that eventual goal in mind. If your goal is to quit a nine to five, but then you're just as miserable in your own company that you started, then you kind of have a lost the point, right? I think that we kind of lose sight of that vision. And, um, the point was to be happier and healthier and yes, to make more money, but to be, have more time to spend with our families and, to go to the gym and enjoy time at the beach and hang out with our friends. And if you're just working just as much as you were and you're just as unhappy, then I think I I would consider that maybe something to look into and just kind of be aware that it could happen. So uh, taking pauses as as you move forward and each step that you get to, kind of reflecting back on whether or not that's what you were aiming for
0: all really great points and i think really like especially that last one too because mm-hmm. i think this is something that is really important to think about like well
1: i consider a misconception that if you build your own business that you have to give up time with friends and family but i feel like isn't the point of building your own business so that you have more time for your own life and so i think um you know part of self care means building those relationships and Especially if you're married or you have kids, like I think a lot of us, we want to work for ourselves so we can spend more time with family and kids. So um, I would just kind of like remind myself of that and realize that, yes, there are sacrifices, but they don't need to be so extreme.
0: Great. And where can people find you?
1: People can find me on Instagram at Jess Beyond the Body. So that's J-E-S-S Beyond the Body. Um, I also have a website under construction, so I'll have to add that later. But people are free to message me on Facebook as well, or email me at justbeyondthebody@gmail.com. At and I'm really excited to hopefully chat with some people and um, make new friends. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of After Hour Projects. For show notes and more, visit www.afterhourprojects.com podcast. You can find all episodes there as well as on Spotify, Apple Music, or your preferred podcast service. Make sure to give the podcast a like, subscribe, and I'll see you on the next episode.